Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. He may be opinionated, but he never jumps to conclusions. This is The Roy Green Show. I'm on Twitter at The Roy Green Show, at The Roy Green Show. Remember, you can listen back to or download anything that we air in the podcasts at RoyGreenShow.com, RoyGreenShow.com. And you can uh, add your thoughts to mine on my posts at RoyGreenShow.com. And what I posted today was kind of like it's not necessarily fun to be a conservative in Ontario right now. But I'm amending that because of what Alex Pearson told me. Uh, just over an hour ago, and that is that at a hall where they're going to be holding the, uh, or are holding the, uh, the uh, results, or will be announcing the results of who the new leader of the Conservative Party, Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario, is. They have to have that emptied out by 5 p.m. because of Chinese weddings that are scheduled to be in there. That is one of the funniest things I've ever heard that has to do with politics. I'm still laughing. Yeah. Well, the good news is we'll be well fed if this thing goes late, and I'm told that there's an extra ring set up, so... Uh, but I can tell you since last we talked, things have gotten a lot more anxious in here, and there's a lot of pacing. And so we're at the point now where we understand they've taken the three, four uh, leadership hopefuls now behind closed doors, and they're telling them the results of the first uh, round. And I'm hearing from a couple of well-placed sources that it's actually very, very close. So I think for a long time, everyone's kind of been edging Christine Elliott into the front. But as I understand, um, it is said to be very close. And, and I've been watching the faces of those who are um, leading the team, and, and they, you can tell that they've got a heavy, heavy load on their shoulders right now. How much do they know? Well, the leadership hopefuls bike right now are in uh, a room um, behind security. So they're being told, I think, the first results. And so what will happen now, and we're expecting it literally any minute, uh, that they will come out and announce the top pick. And then from there, we go into the second round. So if I'm going to guess, I think we'll see Tanya Granik allen probably fall off the first round. Um, and then who knows where it goes, but I'm told it's close. Yeah. We will check back with you uh, in a little bit, Alex, but I know what I'm having for dinner. I can't stop thinking about it now. <laughs> there you go. You're having some egg drop soup. Well, Alex Pearson, uh, on point, <laughs> is her program on the Ontario Chorus Radio Network. If uh, you don't live in Ontario, you can listen online. And it's a great show. It's an absolutely terrific show on point with uh, Alex Pearson on the Ontario Chorus Radio Network. You'll hear it on AM640 in Toronto, 900 CHML in Hamilton, and AM980 in London, Ontario. Vivian Krause is back with us on the Roy Green Show, and we're back to the issue of... What's that? Never mind. Hi, Roy. Hi, Vivian. I don't know. Somebody... Several people will be talking to me at the same time. Vivian uh, Krause back with us to talk about the pipeline issue as things in this country are heating up. And uh, Alberta Premier Notley is warned of cutting back on uh, oil to British Columbia from Alberta if BC moves independently to interfere with pipeline extensions. And uh, this, is, uh, this is not all Canadian. The Americans have a lot of influence here. Vivian, uh, can you just... Take us back and give us the fundamentals, please, on uh, how the United States is affecting the pipeline discussion and debate in this country. 
Well, you just nailed it, Roy. You know, the, the central issue here, the key thing is the U.S. monopoly on our oil. You see, right now, because we don't have pipelines to, to the ocean, we can't get our oil to ports. Um, so we're forced, the oil producers in Western Canada are forced to sell into the U.S. market. And so it's a buyer's market. And um, what's happening is that the, the U.S. buyers can buy oil from Canada cheaper than they can from any other country. Uh, Scotiabank just came out with a report a couple of weeks ago. They estimated that Canada has lost out on $117 billion because we aren't getting international prices for our oil. And the reason for that is because we can't, we can't get it to overseas markets because we don't have the pipelines. That's the whole reason that industry and government wanted to build these pipelines in the first place was so that we could get better prices and also so we could increase the volume of oil that we sell. What's been happening, of course, is that for 20 years now, a group of American charitable foundations have been funding the environmental movement. And now, in the name of protecting the environment, they are blocking the pipelines. So whether that was their explicit intention from the get-go or not, the reality is that by blocking these pipelines, they are continuing the U.S. monopoly on our oil and keeping Canada over a barrel. Now, is our federal government asleep or tacitly approving of what's going on? Well, that's a question for the Prime Minister. But, you know, I, one thing I, I, I remember hearing from him uh, a few years ago is that apparently his father, at one point, of course, former Prime Minister of Canada, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, apparently his father gave him a piece of advice and said, look, you know, three things you've got to get right. It's the relationship with the provinces, the relationship with First Nations, and the relationship with the United States. And, of course, for any prime minister, no matter what party you are, if you're in office, you've, you've got a very difficult choice. You can, either, um, you can either serve Canadian interests and get the best prices possible for Canadian exports. That requires breaking the U.S. monopoly on, on oil from Western Canada. As prime minister, you can do that, and you can serve Canadian interests, or you can serve the American interests and allow them to continue to keep Canada over a barrel. That choice is that simple and that difficult. No matter who's in the the Prime Minister's office, that's one of the most difficult decisions that the Prime Minister of Canada is ever going to have to make. You know, we're billions of dollars in debt. Our uh, annual deficit is in the multiples of billions of dollars. The province of Ontario alone, which is uh, now a, uh, and has been for some time, a receiving province as far as transfer payments are concerned. The province of Ontario just announced it's going to be $8 billion in debt this year. So it just seems to be a no-brainer. Here we have, and we do, and I talked about this last time, we have all these tremendous national resources that are available to us as Canadians. The world wants them. It's not as though they're not going to be put to use. It's not as though they're not going to use oil if we don't provide them ours, or natural gas if we don't provide them ours. And yet here we are, and we're we're we're... I don't want to say this, but I'm going to give it. No, I won't say it because it's it's not fair. Uh, we're not taking advantage of what's available to us to improve our standard of living, to to improve uh, funding our social programs, our health care. The money's right there waiting to be collected and used for the benefit of Canadians. What's wrong with that? Well, you know, this is exactly the issue that we need to be talking about, Roy, you know. I mean, if Canada, if, if, if we as Canadians cannot live 
within our means as a nation. If, if we can't live within our means and, and if we have to go into debt by hundreds of billions of dollars, if we can't live within our means with all the abundant, incredible natural resources that we have, then, then something's wrong, mm-hmm. right? Because if any country should be able to do this, it's us. We have the we have the natural resources, and we and have massive that, we have massive amounts yeah, of natural no, yeah, resources and a small population. Yeah, so I think there's something terribly wrong when we are indebting future generations, putting the burden of debt on their back. You know, I it, it, it nothing makes me sicker than 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 you know thinking that what we're what we're stacking on the credit card uh, of our of our children. You know, I, I'm in my fifties. I, I have a daughter who's twenty five. And what are we doing to these kids? What are, what are, we just can't let this happen. No. You know, because eventually that, the interest alone, here's something to think about. The interest alone on our federal debt, that's not even including the provincial or municipal levels, but the interest on our federal debt alone is about 30 billion. It's roughly the same amount, more or less, as what we pay in GST. So imagine that. As Canadians, all the GST that we pay, it doesn't get to go to pay for hospitals or bridges or police forces or our justice system or anything. All that GST is just paying the interest on our debt, not even touching the principal. That's what's so absurd about the situation that we're in. And now we have a chance to increase uh, our national revenues by exporting our natural resources in a, in a responsible, proper way, benefiting the poorest parts of our country, our rural areas, and the First Nations who are the people in poverty that we need to help get out of it. And we're letting this opportunity go. Why? Well, it's clear who's benefiting here. It's not Canadians. It's the U.S. interests. And and those same U.S. interests are the ones that are behind the anti-pipeline activists that are, of course, gathered here in Vancouver today. We're 20 years behind, Roy. We're 20 years and hundreds of millions of dollars behind. But finally, Canadians are starting to wake up and smell the competition. Smell the fact that it's American interests that are winning when we don't build these large infrastructure projects. And we've, you know, we are where we are. We've just got to start where we are, uh, increasing Canadians' uh, understanding of the issue. That's why I I really thank you for covering this on your show. And making sure that we get politicians elected who will fight for Canadian interests. We don't need to hear somebody saying budgets will balance themselves because we're seeing the uh, the results of that particular philosophy taking place in front of our eyes now. Vivian, can you hold on? I need to take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk some more. Sure. All right. Vivian Krauss is with us at, on Twitter, at Fair Questions. And she's done the, uh, done the scrutinizing of the monies that flow into Canada from the United States and fund the anti-pipeline activities. And they're not doing it for an altruistic reason. They're doing it because it benefits the U.S. financially. We'll come back. Looking for the truth and not worried about rattling some cages to get at it. This is the Roy Green Show. So we talked a bit last hour about the Conference Board of Canada saying that if NAFTA disappears, that in the first year, 85,000 jobs will be lost in Canada, and by the second year, 91,000 jobs will be gone in this country. If NAFTA disappears, the eighth round of negotiations slash discussions are about to start, 
And we have a responsibility in this country to get things right for Canadians. To get things right for Canadians. And when you do business with and when you trade with the Americans, they have a specific expectation of how you'll do it. And that's something we're going to get into in a few minutes' time. When we're joined by Ron Foxcroft, one of this country's premier entrepreneurs, most successful business people in this country, one of the very most successful, the chairman of Fox 40 Industries and the chairman of Tradeport International. And Ron Foxcroft has done a lot of business and does business with the United States and in the United States and in Canada. And the Americans made it very clear to Ron about what their expectations are. And it's, it would be foolish to not listen to what they have to say. At the same time, when it comes to our oil and our gas and our natural resources, and if our oil is being sold at a huge discount in the United States, and it's something that's been put in place over a period of time, and they like it just the way it is, we can't get it to international markets because we're fighting ourselves, we're fighting each other inside our borders about building the pipelines, and there's lots of statistics on safe travel and transport of oil. I'll get into those hopefully next weekend. But uh, if we fight each other on the multiples of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars that we're losing out on that will help our economy and help people who require social program assistance and health care, then we're not being responsible citizens of Canada. Yeah, let's take care of the environment, but let's not lose sight of the fact that we need the money. And no, there's no reason, I've been saying this for decades, there's no reason this country should even be a dime in debt. We have a small population, we have massive natural resources, and we are only in debt because of incompetent politicians. And our personal debts are off the scale. Everybody lives on tomorrow's dollar without knowing whether there'll be a dollar tomorrow. Anyway, to the protesters in, uh, in Vancouver... Uh, Sloboda Vic sends a tweet. So interesting to see all the signs, clothes, boots, pipes for sign handles, cell phones, public address systems, and motor vehicles that brought them there, all byproducts of the oil industry they desperately protest against. But you can't use logic. You can't use logic. And I'm not being unkind to people who care about the environment, but you can't outthink those who aren't thinking. There's a big picture, and then there's the compartmentalized thinking, compartmentalized thinking. And if you restrict yourself to compartmentalized thinking, well, then we all we're all going to lose. Vivian Krauss is back with us at Fair Questions on Twitter, and she's done the research about the money that's pouring into Canada from American groups and foundations to fund the the anti-pipeline protests, and you know why. So, uh, Vivian, I'm sure that I'm sure that you're accused of all sorts of things, like being in the hip pocket of the oil industry and 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 feathering your nest at the exp- expense of the environment, because personal attack is usually where things go. Um, can you give us an idea about? I mean, how fairly are you being treated? Oh, you know, I, I don't even ask that question. You know. Uh, you know, Ron, when when I, you know, when I get uh, frustrated, sometimes I, I think of what my grandparents went through when when they came to this country. You know, they they were immigrants and they were fleeing persecution in, in Eastern Europe. 
and uh, and they they you know my grandfather was a teacher. He came here. He worked as a as a gardener, as a janitor, as a carpenter. Um, you know, plowed the land and worked as a farmer. And it was tough, you know, in the in the twenties and thirties. It wasn't it wasn't easy for people. Today, what are we dealing with? It's Facebook and Twitter. Seriously, mm-hmm. you know, we're we're better than this. We we can work hard as Canadians, and we can make sure that everybody understands the main political and economic issues that our country is facing. And once I think people have a good understanding of it, I think we'll we'll make we'll make good decisions. The problem we we have right now is that for so many years we trusted these activists, and we're very trusting as Canadians. And nobody bothered to look into who, where the money was coming from. And frankly, I wouldn't have done it either. But I stumbled across this by accident. And that's how I got into it. You know, if I hadn't stumbled across by accident, I'd be just like everybody else, right? But we're, we are where we are. And now we know, you know, when I started this research, you know, eight years ago, I didn't have the answers. I had questions. I didn't have the answers. In fact, I started a blog. I called it Fair Questions because that's all I had. But now we have the answers in the words of the guy who has been directing this anti-pipeline activism for 10 years, okay? His foundation is called, or his organization is Corporate Ethics. His name is Michael Marks. And he said very clearly now, from the very beginning, the campaign strategy was to landlock the crude, he calls it the tar sands crude, but landlock crude from Western Canada, keeping it out of international markets for fetch a high price per barrel. So, you know, there you go. You have it from from the, the individual who's been in charge of all this anti-pipeline activism for a decade. Now, the purpose of it is to keep our most important national export out of overseas markets, okay? So now we know. And I'll tell you, today there's going to be thousands of people, apparently there's 2,000 people in Burnaby, roughly, or something like that, who are uh, against the Kinder Morgan pipeline. And they're no less Canadian than I am. You know, we're, we're all Canadian here, Right. But what's happened is that to get them organized, there have been employees at organizations, you know, take the top five organizations, they have more than 500 employees. Tides Canada alone has 225 employees. Of course, they are not all working on anti-pipeline activism, but if they want to, you know, leverage the, the team, they've, they've got an awfully big staff to draw, right? So those of us at the pro-pipeline rally, there's going to be maybe hopefully a couple hundred of us. We're 20 years behind, tens of millions of dollars behind. But we are where we are, and all we can do is, you know, onwards. Onwards. Let's Get smart sure, about let's it. Let's make sure that Canadians understand what's actually going on. This is about the U.S. monopoly on our oil. It's not about protecting the environment. In fact, stopping these pipelines actually makes things worse because we don't use any less oil. We just use it from countries that produce it by even lower standards. That's all that happens, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm all for, by the way, I'm all for using less oil. We use a 1,000 barrels of oil every second as a planet. That's an enormous amount of oil. I'm sure we could use it better, more efficiently, with, you know, higher fuel efficiency, efficiency standards for our vehicles, etc. So I'm all for using our oil better. But if we're going to use oil, let's make sure it's from our country first. Yep, and you know what we've managed to do is pit Canadians against Canadians. We now have uh, British Columbia and Alberta uh, swinging at each other. Maybe the swinging is going to become more intense, particularly if uh, resources, uh, oil resources, are reduced or cut off by Alberta because of uh, their interpretation of what British Columbia may have undertaken. It gets really, it has the potential to yeah. to to, well, to really spin out of control. This 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 
this little spat between BC and Alberta, this is really silly, you know. Mm-hmm. An eye for an eye and we'll all be blind, you know. Two wrongs don't make a right. We, we, need to, we need to work together as Canadians, not fight each other. The Americans are laughing all the way to the bank on this one, right? What we need to do, here's what we need to do. We need to reestablish what the truth is here. We need to set the record straight on the true GHG emissions of Canadian oil. Because the trouble is, right, that for years the industry and the Alberta government let the activists say things that weren't true. And they've established this idea that Alberta oil is terribly much dirtier than, than conventional crude from any other country. Well, it's true that the, the, the GHG emissions from the oil sands, from some of them, not all, but from some of them, it is a bit higher. But it's nowhere near as high as the envir- activists have been saying. They've been saying that it's three or four times higher. It's not. That would be 300 or 400 percent higher. It's like 10 to 20 percent. So the activists have been grossly exaggerating the true environmental impacts, and now we know why. It's because if they would tell the whole truth about Alberta oil, they would not have a sound case for their campaign to landlock our crude and keep Canada over a barrel. There's much no more... they have to say things that aren't true. If they would tell the whole truth, they wouldn't have a case for their campaign. There is so much more to be said and so much more to be understood and so much more dialogue that needs to take place in this country. And keep in mind, keep the understanding in place, as Vivian has told us, the Americans are funding the anti-pipeline activists and protests, and they're not doing it because they care about the planet. They're doing it because it's financially advantageous. Vivian, yeah. Vivian, and i got to get to the CPAS here, Roy, so I can get to that rally. <laughs> That's why i let you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for your, so much for uh, your time. time with us. All the best. Okay. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Vivian Krauss, at uh, Fair Questions on Twitter. And thanks to Kyle Benning from CKNW for providing the uh, the scene setter for us. When we come back, what exactly do Americans expect from Canadians who are doing business with them? We're not going to have the steel and aluminum tariffs, at least not right away. Have to do a lot to do with what happens with NAFTA. Ron Foxcroft is one of this country's most successful entrepreneurs. He does business with the United States and in the United States and business in Canada. What did the Americans say to him about what their expectations were and are of him? Stay with us.